<laughs> Click. Click. <laughs> <laughs> like how, whose line is it anyway when they're like <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the poet salon it's a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we prepared especially for them i'm Duji tahat i'm luther hughes and i'm gabrielle bates last week we talked with jericho brown about the south the church, and form. This week, we asked him to bring in a poem by someone else for us to geek out about, and Jericho chose The Lost Baby Poem by Lucille Clifton. Buckle up. This is a poem by Lucille Clifton. It's titled The Lost Baby Poem, Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot because I live in Georgia. Uh, The Lost Baby Poem. The time I dropped your almost body down, down to meet the waters under the city and run one with the sewage to the sea. What did I know about waters rushing back? What did I know about drowning or being drowned? You would have been born into winter in the year of the disconnected gas and no car. We would have made the thin walk over Genesee Hill into the Canada wind to watch you slip like ice into strangers' hands. You would have fallen naked as snow into winter. If you were here, I could tell you these and some other things. If I am ever less than a mountain for your definite brothers and sisters, let the rivers pour over my head. Let the sea take me for a spiller of seas. Let black men call me stranger always for your never named sake. Yeah, tell us about why you chose this poem today and how it came into your life. Yeah. I don't remember encountering the poem per se. When I um, first read, my friend Tamika Cage, who's a fiction writer and a poet, um, Cave Canham poet actually, but she uh, went to Iowa for fiction after going to Cave Canham. And we grew up together. We actually went to middle school and high school together. Um, she, uh, we used to, in college, and in college, I would drive back. She would ride with me, you know, from New Orleans to Sh- where we went to college to Shreveport, where we were from. And um, on the rides, she would read me poetry. Mm. And um, she's the person who, uh, in Gloria Way Gale's office one day, was holding um, one of Lucille Clifton's books. And it was like, Nelson at the time, my name was Nelson. Nelson, you um, you need to hear this poem. She read me the poem. And I was like, oh my God, who is that? What is going on? <laughs> I, was worn, I was early worn out by Lucille Clifton. Um, and Tamika was like, this is what I'm going to read to you on the way home. And I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and so she would like read all of Lucille Clifton's books on the five-hour drive from New Orleans to Shreveport. And, um, and, she, uh, and this was one of those poems. And so it sort of stuck with me through the years. And when I started teaching, I started using it um, in particular to teach conceit. Um, I'm interested uh, in the ways that, um, and I always think conceit is interesting. If it's done well, it's always sort of hidden behind the poem. You know, we start this poem, um, the first image of water is that the water's under the city. Then we get to sewage. Then we get to 
words like waters rushing back, drowning, being drowned. And then after that, the form of the water, the form of the liquid changes. We go from winter to disconnected gas. Um, then we have the wind and the ice. Then we have snow and then we have the winter again. So there's something that's happened to the water that is that it's not water anymore. It goes between ice and and gas. And then um, in that next uh, in that final strophe, the water is um, competing with the land in a way in these series of, of ifs. If I'm ever less than a mountain for your definite brothers and sisters, let the rivers. There's the water again. Pour over my head. Let the sea. There's the water again. Uh, take me for a spiller of seas. Uh, so, I, so I think it's it's interesting that um, that the conceit sort of stands behind the poem in this competing way that has to do, I think, with uh, the speaker of the poem, with Clifton, dealing with all these sides of why she made this kind of a decision. Uh, and I, you know, I'm just thinking about it, given uh, these really uh, oppressive abortion laws that are coming through all over the South, and in particular where I live in in Georgia, um, I, I still don't understand how it is possible that men even have a vote when it comes to uh, women and things that can only happen to women's bodies. Um, I just don't understand how that's possible, but it is, it seems to me, um, it's possible and odd. Um, so, yeah. um, and I'm from other- Alabama where a woman governor <laughs> signed yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the bill so yeah it's, yeah it's but not it just, just men and women yeah and obviously you know there will be women who um i might disagree with about these things but and and i but i'd rather um the women have this conversation and you know maybe there's a i wish there was a way that only the women voted mm-hmm. do you know do you understand mm-hmm. what i'm saying mm-hmm. but um whatever uh the, <laughs> i can't I can't stop people from being crazy, I guess. So the other thing I'm interested in, though, in the end of this first strophe, um, what did I know? What did I know? Yes. Y'all see that? Y'all know that's Very from, Robert right? Hayden. That's, that's right. all I'm thinking about, honestly, <laughs> yeah. is just like how a whole book so could be written about those two poems together. Yeah, she's done this thing um, from the Robert Hayden poem, Those Winter Sundays, where, you know, that poem about the son looking at his father and realizing these things about this father. So she's looking at the child who isn't Flipped born yes. and realizing this thing. And the treatment of winter the and, the, and exactly. even like the and so house. then comes, exactly, very good. Come on, very good. <laughs> you know, so this Start. is a real black poem speaking back to yeah. real black poetry, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and if you're not sure of it, uh, here comes this uh, last two lines. Um, let black men call me stranger always uh, for your never namesake, right? If I don't do this right, then I messed up all of then Then there were no reasons for me to make uh, this decision. Um, I also, I'm also interested in her speaking directly to the lost baby. Um, you know, at first, this, the, this, the other part of the first strophe is that it reminds me of all the problematizing that happens in Gwendolyn Brooks' as The Mother. She's beautiful. I think it's the first time it ever happened in the history of American poetry, what she does at this moment. Um, 
Uh, though why did it, why should I whine whine that the crime should be other than mine? Since anyhow you are dead, or rather, or instead you were never made. Oh, what is the truth to be said? I mean, she just changed her mind mm -hmm. 27 times in a matter of however many lines that that takes for her to do in that poem. And I think a similar thing is happening in the first strophe, right? With the with the questions, um, what did I know about? What did I know about? And then the explanation to the lost baby, you would have been born when we were broke or we would have had to give you away to people we didn't know who were in Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, uh, and so, and then there's this very Clifton-esque moment. Um, this is uh, something you can see in almost every Lucille Clifton poem, definitely every great, there are many great Lucille Clifton poems. She managed to write a whole bunch of great poems. <laughs> yes, she um, did. If you were here, I could tell you these and some other things, which is completely under the breath. Like mm. that's not even, do you know what I mean? Like she says yeah. this, like this, this whole poem seems to be happening to someone who does not exist and therefore is happening in the head, right? Mm. And then there's this inside the head that says, if you were here, I'd tell you these and some other things, right? And so there's a little bit of mystery there. Like, what are the damn other things? Do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, and then the declaration at the end, the if-then statement, if I am ever less than a mountain for your definite brothers and sisters, let the rivers pour over my head, let the sea take me for a spiller of seas. Let black men call me stranger always for your never namesake. That's what I think about this. I think the other thing um, to note about this poem is that it's dur is written during a time uh, where black folk are talking a lot about uh, black nation, black nationhood. Um, so that last part when she says, let black men call, call me a stranger is a very serious thing for her during that period of time as a black woman writing this poem. You know, um, one of the reasons why uh, you should be having babies during that time uh, is because we need more people to fight this fight of mm. um, of nationhood and of rebellion and of revolution. Um, and so that's part of the reason why she's saying, I think at least let black men call me stranger. I, yeah. mean, I think that's really a part of the time. On the line before that, I was thinking, let uh, let the sea take me for a spiller of seas. And uh, I, it's funny because up until that moment, I was kind of, I mean, the returning of the addressed of the beloved like to the land like there's a lot of nation building it feels like is happening uh up until that moment and then the recognition that if uh the lost baby is um you know maybe a stand-in for a type of nation that that then the eye is like the sea right the thing around it that is like it is of it is of the other and it is almost like the thing that makes a nation right it is the thing around yeah, the yeah, land mass right yeah. But I think the other thing that's happening in the final strophe is that everything is about naming. Mm. Um, mm. If you're more yeah. definite brothers and sisters, uh, pour over my head where we mm. imagine thoughts, the naming of things, yeah. language resides. Take me, like let me be mistaken, let my name be yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Mm. Um, let black men call me, and then at the end you're never named sake. Uh, and I think that also has to do with the time, like people literally, re uh, you have we have to remember that um, Lucille Clifton also has a poem where the last line is, mine is already an African name, um, <laughs> uh, with a capital A and a K <laughs> in African. Uh, and, th and that, that 
this is a time when people are literally naming their children um, very Afrocentric names and changing their own names to more to to more Afrocentric names or or at least that sound Afrocentric to them. Um, so this this moment of naming, I think, is very important. So it's a way that there's a way that the poem is really po- personal, but also about people, a people, a we, as we said um, earlier. Uh, and I think that's, I think that is to be noticed because sometimes we forget when we're talking about these things that we're talking about actual real human people, real lives, folk who have to make very hard decisions uh, to do very hard things. Um, and we like to talk about them. We like to talk about those people as if they're numbers or statistics or as if we are at odds with them when they're human beings. So. This last stanza, I keep going back and forth on whether I read it as like a curse on the self or some form of blessing because all of these let, let, let moments are all couched under if I am ever less than a mountain. So like that's the standard that the speaker is setting for herself is like if I am ever like less than a mountain Mm -hmm. for your definite brothers and sisters let all these these things things happen um so it's like i have to be a mountain yeah i have to be at least right that is how the speaker is feeling in this moment is like uh it's it's both so relatable to me and um yeah just like really fascinating and kind of breaks my heart well but i also think she wants to let us know that she has other children or are they in the future yeah well we don't know exactly we don't know but we do know that there was a decision made about this particular child right um or the body made the decision whether those kids came later or before that decision had to be made at the moment of this particular of the lost baby do you see what i mean Uh, so i i think that's really that's really interesting because there's a way that the poem is in that your for your definite brothers and sisters, the poem becomes plaintive in a in a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. I like the the word definite, right? Like I'm I'm going to have more children, or I have children beside you, and that mm-hmm. that the the it's so honest in that way where she's the poet is saying, well, I had to let you go, but other kids were still born regardless, you know. And I think that's very powerful to have after saying. I have, to, I have to let you go because of these things, because you're, we were poor, because all these things are going to happen. So, so to say that and then go back to, I have to be immovable, right? But for your, your definite siblings who are going to be alive and well, because it's very painstakingly honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say that like nothing in this poem, the way I read it, makes it clear that this was a choice. It could have been a miscarriage, um, particularly the imagery of, the sewer and the water yeah, makes yeah. me think that yeah, this yeah, exactly. was something that happened yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that wasn't a choice. And but dropped seems like a choice to me, though. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Mm, well, yeah, that's also a physical description. Yeah, yeah. But and it is acknowledging the economic um, and seasonal environment into which the baby would have been born and acknowledging that that would have been really difficult. So mm-hmm. both of those things are true, mm-hmm. whether it was a choice or not. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, um, what do you guys make of uh, the title? The, mm. like, 
it feels like kind of a particular distancing prior to making such an intimate address. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm just curious. I, I haven't quite landed on how to square those two. And having the word poem in the title of the poem, the lost baby poem, mm-hmm. that seems like something you would title like a working title, you know, like this is helping me remember what this poem is about. Right. Or, or it's her tie or her, I say her, but though I guess we could say, we can say it. We don't know if it's her or he, right. Or, or what, right. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe it's her poem. Hmm. Like this is the lost mm. baby poem. You know what I mean? Mm, the baby, like the poem belongs to the baby. Oh, mm. like the lost babies. Poem. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like it's sort of, it's sort of for the self and for and for the baby. Yeah. Lost yeah. baby poem is what it sounds like. But you know, she hated titles. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, does she have a series that has this sort of structure no, as a title, like the tree them. poem? She would tell us. I mean, she <laughs> hated them. She's like, I don't know. She would. She hated titles. So it's really funny knowing that about Was her. Was Clifton a teacher because, of yours? you know, when you read a poem, you want to give it. No, she would. Well, um, yes, but not at a school. Like at Cabot Canham, she came. And she would um, wear us all out. (laughs) (laughs) She told me to hush once. (gasps) I didn't talk for a week. (laughs) That's it. I didn't even. That's it. I couldn't even utter. Like, I was like. Anyway. um, (laughs) Something was going on. We were somewhere and somebody was being, doing something crazy. And, um, and I was a very young person. You know, I started being at stuff when I was like 22 years old. And um, she knew they were acting crazy because she kept rolling her eyes. And I took her rolling her eyes to be like, oh, Lucille Clifton is rolling her eyes. So I'm about to like make fun of this person. (laughs) So I was like, oh, this is perfect because this is just what I wanted to do. So I was like with these other younger poets. And I was like, Lucille Clifton rolling her eyes, y'all. Let's make fun of this person. I started making fun of the person. And she turned to me. She said, hush. And I was like, ah, all these years later. The echo of that hush. I is cannot still believe with us. I'm talking now. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I really, I didn't. Like people would talk to me, I'd be like, I can't talk this week. <laughs> Won't be talking. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, she's pretty amazing. But yeah, she would always tell us how she never knew what to title poems, and she hated title and poems, and um. So it's interesting. But then sometimes she would say things where it was like really tongue in cheek, though. Mm-hmm. You, she would. You would ask her a question and she would say something and people would laugh because they're like, that's not the answer. You just don't want to tell us, mm. you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's like, if you were here, I could tell you these and some other things is sort of how she was mm. um, even when talking to people. So the time I dropped her almost body down, down to meet the waters under the city. It's good, right? It's so good. It's so smart. This moment right here and run one. And then that other, that next W that comes up and run one with the sewage. Y'all see that? She's mm-hmm. That girl is mm-hmm. in that music. What did I know about waters rushing? Those W's and those R's are wearing y'all out if you don't like it or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Drowning. Rushing back. And yeah. What did I know about drowning or being drowned? She's writing. She's good. She's the best, you know. I think she's the best. She's something else she's the survivor mm-hmm. yes. stuff. she's so precise in her language it's mind-blowing yeah, the other thing that i uh use clifton for in my classes is um 
these moments like Definite Brothers and Sisters, teaching modifier noun combinations. Yeah. Uh, Clifton's really good Someone at this. Expected. Rita Dove is really good at this. Yeah. Um, never uh, namesake. Yeah, never yeah. namesake. Very good. Yeah, yeah, this is literally what we would be doing in my classroom. Right <laughs> <laughs> and now we're in class. <laughs> right. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think when you learn to do things like that, that's really helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Um, Dove has um, the this moment in that that poem, Daystar, where she says, um, "Pinched armor of a cricket." Or later in the poem, she says, pure nothing in the middle of the day, of the day or something like that. There are other moments. Pinched that are armor. Like, I love that. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank this you. This was really generous you. of you to give us your time this morning. Thank and to teach us a little me. lesson. You're so cute. <laughs> Thank you to Jericho for hanging out and talking with us. Shout out to Lucille, Whiskey, and of course, The Flavor Blue for our incredible theme music. Incredible. And just so freaking good. And thank you to you, of course, our loyal listeners. We love you so much. If you love us back, please rate us five stars on whatever platform you're listening on and hit that subscribe button. You know you love us. You do. Just do it. Lastly, follow us on Twitter at Poet Salon Pod and send along your poetry-related questions, your humorous anecdotes, and your favorite Grey's Anatomy episodes to thepoetsalonpod at gmail.com. I don't want to play house. I was born to run this. Building up my fortress. Stacking up the mattress. You want to weaponize this? Gonna show you these hands. Gonna take on these streets. Gonna show you who's man's Cause my crew mob steady Feddy and spaghetti Feddy and spaghetti Feddy in the...